You are listening to The Gospel for Geeks. I'm Father Roderick, and this is a recording of my Sunday homily. You can find more information about the Bible readings in the show notes. The other day, I was watching Godzilla, which for those of you that are not familiar with that name, is a story of a huge monster. But the movie that I was watching started with archival footage of nuclear tests in the ocean. This happened after the Second World War, after that war ended, at least for the United States, with the bombing uh, of, of uh, Hiroshima, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, a horrible, horrible event, of course. But then that initiated this race of arms where more and more countries started to amass nuclear arms and testing them out. This movie, however, continues with <laughs> telling us the story how these, this nuclear radiation that came from those bombings, those bombs that they had explode in, in the ocean, uh, made lizards mutate and one of them grew into this enormous monster that lives under the sea. And then we flash forward to New York City and on a morning, uh, a rainy, dreary morning, this old man is going to fish uh, at the coastline. And so he's waiting for fish to bite and then suddenly he sees that, you know, there is definitely something on the other end of, uh, of his fishing rod. And when he starts to reel in, all of a sudden there's this huge monster the size of a skyscraper that emerges from the water and starts stomping around in New York City, destroying building after building and monument after monument. And then the rest of the movie is, of course, focused on how the people in New York City feel completely powerless with regards to this gigantic monster that is so much more powerful and nothing seems to be able to destroy it. Now you have to know that I was watching the, 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 the maybe the least appreciated version of this story, the one with, with Matthew Broderick, um, but that was actually a movie version of a whole genre that emerged in Japan after the Second World War. Right from the start, right after Second World War, um, they started to make these claymation movies, black and white, where uh, Godzilla, Godzilla or Gajira, as they call him in, in Japanese, Gajira was basically a clay monster and it was animated frame by frame and it would just walk uh, around cardboard cities destroying everything. They just worked with the kind of special effects that they were able to do at the time. But even though it looks very fake, those movies became such a hit. And so Movie after movie, we saw these stories about giant monsters rising from the sea. And first of all, it was just Gajira. And then other monsters started to fight Gajira. And there was just this titanic fight. And every time, I think what, what's, what is so characteristic of these movies is that it's not just about the monster, but it's about the contrast between that humongous monster and us the people that we identify with, the characters, the main roles in the movie, that are so tiny and seem so powerless vis-a-vis uh, -vis this, this monster. Now, of course, you, 
you understand why they started to tell these stories. The Godzilla movies or Gojira movies were a metaphor for how the Japanese people felt after the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This incredible, unfathomable, unfathomable uh, destructive power of the atomic bombs is, is symbolized in the form of this monster that is way too big for us to, to stop. You're completely powerless. And it's this fear that you see in the movies that is kind of a way to almost therapeutically work through that fear that people had when this bombing took place and also the aftermath and all the effects of the radiation. We always do that in our stories, in our fairy tales, also in our movies. The, the ones that really strike us, that really um, uh, inspire us and become popular are often stories that are retelling our current events in a fictional way so that we can deal with them. We, we step into a fictional world where we feel a little bit more safe and, and, and we see almost like reflections and, and mirrored versions of, of our, you know, our fears, our enemies, our struggles in our real life. But in that story, we learn how to, how to deal with it. And so this is also one of the main reasons that Jesus tells so many stories. It's much more effective if you are a teacher, and Jesus is a teacher, to tell a story than to give a lesson. You rarely see Jesus having theological debates with the Pharisees and the scribes that are constantly attacking him and, and, and the apostles. Usually when Jesus is confronted with opposition and resistance, and sometimes even uh, people that are trying to hurt him, he responds with a story. And it's up to the people that he speaks to to think, start thinking about that story. It's not an immediate confrontation, but it makes them think, who am I in this story? And what is this story? What is he trying to tell us with this story? And this is why it's so important that today in the gospel, Jesus tells, actually he has one story and one metaphor, one image. And I'll get to it in a minute. But it's it's because Jesus wants to teach something extremely important, with I, which I think has huge relevance for today. Well, let's go back to Godzilla. Of course, this is a movie. But that fear for the strength of nuclear weapons and how powerless we are and how much of an existential threat that is to the future of humanity is a real fear today. Just a few days ago, Putin declared that he wanted to, uh, to just take part of Ukraine. And he put up this kind of sham uh, consultation of the people that live there. You know, here's a weapon. You are going to say that you want to be a Russian, right? And then we'll just take that part of the country. And then in, in this kind of almost mock ceremony where he declared that from now and henceforth this will be Russia forever, he also multiple times dares to, to make the threat that he has nuclear weapons and that he is not afraid to use them. And I don't know how, how you experience stuff like that, talk like that, but 
I, be, I am just genuinely scared because this is a man who has shown throughout this war in Ukraine that he is willing to do the most unthinkable, most inhumane things to win as if you can ever win any war. A war is always what people do when they cannot figure it out by dialoguing, by talking. When they lose faith in one another, that's when they start hurting one another. And once you start hurting someone else, even if you think that you are rightful, rightful to do that, it's still going to destroy people's lives. So it's always a loss, no matter the outcome. But, but this man who has proven that he's willing to commit the most horrific crimes that we've seen since the end of the Second World War is now talking about the use of nuclear weapons. And what is so frightening is that we know that the moment that he actually does, this is going to create a, a chain effect, how do you call it, a domino effect, where there will be retaliation. The United States and, and the partners of NATO have already announced that. There will be retaliation. And then, and then what happens? This is a fear that has existed ever since we started this insane nuclear race. But now it's getting more frightening because there are actors that are willing to actually use this, not just as a threat, but as a real means of destroying the other party. And I feel in that moment just as powerless as in the story of Godzilla, these tiny little soldiers feel when they are looking up to that gigantic monster and even if they shoot at it, it doesn't even notice it. And it's, it's a fear and, and also a feeling of powerlessness. What, what can I do? I'm just a priest. I'm streaming mass on the internet. I'm talking in my parish churches where I assist to not even a hundred people on Sunday morning. How can that change the needle? It's not even a, 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 a millionth of a, of, a, of a percentage. So what's the point? How can we ever face a threat like this? And what does prayer help? How many candles should we light to, to change the course of this world? To bring about peace. We've been praying for peace for a year now, ever since this war started, and it seems like it's not helping. It's not changing. You feel powerless in the face of this overwhelming evil, and this overwhelming violence that comes from evil. And you know what I find so comforting about today's readings? Uh, and I'm, I'm using the readings of the 27th Sunday of the Ordinary Time, Year C, in case you're watching this in the future <laughs> and you're wondering, what is he talking about? But there are two Bible readings this Sunday that, um, and the first one starts with exactly this feeling. It's this prophet, Habakkuk, who is addressing God, not with praise, not with songs, but with fear. You can, it's, it, it, these are, thousands of years old, these texts, but you can sense the fear and you can empathize with this fear because it, he's talking about how we feel today. It's this prayer that tells God, God, how, why are you not doing anything? 
Look at all the evil that surrounds me. Look at all the evildoers. It's too much. We're praying and you don't respond. We, we're trying to make the world a better place and nothing seems to move. Nothing seems to, to go your way. So, what? And it's this, this complete dead end that, that the prophet finds himself in that is so relatable. But then, what is so impressive of this very ancient reading is that God replies and the prophet has written it down. And God says, actually, he makes it very simple. He doesn't go into details of how he's going to fix the situation or what they should do. He's not going to lay out a plan. He makes it very simple. And he says there are basically two things. You've got the, the rash ones, the people that judge very quickly, that are acting without thinking, without using their conscience. They will perish. They will not end up winning. It's kind of this old wisdom that you find in the Bible over and over again, that evil punishes itself. Evil never has a future. Never, ever. And we know that that is even more true after we've seen what Jesus did, destroying death, our ultimate enemy. And even death can be overcome, and God will overcome death. And so, evil has already lost. Make sure that you are not among the evildoers. And then that first reading says, but the people that have an open heart, that have faith in me, they will live. That's God's promise. And he says, remember this. because this is, And maybe there are maybe times that you're waiting for this and, and, and it's not happening. And this promise seems to not be fulfilled. And then God here already says, don't worry. Stay put. Keep believing. Because I am God and I keep my promises. And, and it's, it's beautiful. And at the same time, it's also very hard. Because right now we, we, we live in this same situation where we are praying every time, God, please put an end to this war. Please prevent people from using nuclear weapons. And, and, and have we not learned anything from the Second World War and all these other wars in the world? And God seems to whisper to us, but keep the faith. Trust me. Keep a heart, an open heart. Do what I tell you to do. And all will be well. But don't walk away from me. Don't give up on my promise. That brings us to the gospel. Where in you, Jesus is... You always have to look at the context of the gospel. And Jesus, in this case, is talking to his apostles. We don't really know the exact day where, when this is happening or what happened right before. But it's interesting that right before the start of this gospel... Um, there seems to have been a, another kerfuffle with the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious establishment. And they've been accusing Jesus and his apostles of not following the rules. And, and that, is, that hurts. You know, opposition when it comes from the Romans or the pagans, sure, yeah. They're not like us. But this is coming from within the Jewish religion. It always hurts much more when you're criticized by people that are supposed to be part of your group, part of your, of your world. And so these apostles have been talking with Jesus about forgiveness. And Jesus emphasizes, you have to forgive. Keep forgiving. Stay patient. Don't retaliate. Forgive once, twice, 
seven times, 77 times, always forgive. And, then, and that's where this gospel of this Sunday starts and the apostles tell Jesus, we, well, <laughs> it's a variant on, on Jaws, like we need a bigger boat. And instead of that, they, they say, we need a bigger faith. Give us more faith. And then Jesus uses this image um, of a tiny mustard seed. It's one of the smallest seeds. And he says, if you have faith like this, it will be enough. It can change the needle. It can change the world. If only you have this bit of faith. And it's interesting how he creates a contrast that reminds me of, of what the Godzilla movies do. Where there's this just, this faith is huge. It's a tiny, it's so small. You can barely see it. And then there's this overwhelming other tree that is like a, you know, like Godzilla. It's like, how can I ever make that tree change? Well, Jesus says, it's just, you just need a little bit of faith. And what I like so much about this image is that it is um, a deliberate, he uses the, the, the seed to tell his apostles that this is not just something that you look at or that you show to other people. Look, I have a little bit of faith. Now, a seed is only, is only working, can only change things if you plant it. So you have to do something with your faith. But it's very small, it's very simple. The other day I was watching Rings of Power and it was beautiful, um, it was the fourth episode. And, and, and at one point, one of the elves explains that before elves go to battle, they plant a seed so that it will grow. And there is blessing when something brings life into the world. I thought it was a, another beautiful Tolkien, of course, was very Catholic. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was inspired by the same gospel. You need to plant seeds and it will ultimately change the world, even though you may have to still fight a battle. But the strength of life, the lifespan of a tree is much longer usually than the lifespan of us warring nations. And God blesses what we plant. Uh, anyway, so that's the first image that he uses. And so it means it's simple what I ask you, but use your faith, make small changes, plant little seeds, and over time that will change the world. And then he starts to tell a seemingly unrelated story. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus here is addressing not his apostles, but their attackers, the scribes, the Pharisees, who always kind of walk around showing to other people how incredibly faithful they are. But they do it with arrogance. They just show the exterior. They are using their position in society and in religion to basically prevent themselves from having to act upon it. And in fact, they are doing the opposite of what their faith asks them to do. And to them, Jesus, I think, tells this story where he says there, there was this, this worker in the field and he's just hired to do a job. And, but if you are hiring this guy or this woman, when that person comes back from doing basically their job, you're not going to say, hey, I'm going to cook you a great meal and let me dress the table for you. No. Still working hours, you dress the table for me, and then when I'm done and your work day is done, then you can eat, you do whatever you want. So just do your job. That's all that is necessary. He, he tells that to the Pharisees and to the scribes. Just don't, don't think that you're a superhero if you believe in God and try to follow the commandments. You're just doing what you sh should have done altogether. It's not a merit. It's just doing what, you're, what God created you for. And this is also, of course, 
a, a warning to the, to the apostles, stay humble. Uh, you don't have to be a boss to, to, to work. Your boss is, is God himself. He is your Lord. And the only thing that you have to do is to follow his commandments. It's very simple. And, and, and don't think that you're a superhero if you do. If you go to church on Sunday, if you listen to a homily, that's not superhero stuff. Because God doesn't ask most of us to be superheroes or martyrs even. He just asks us, do what I ask you to do. It's very simple. Which ultimately, and I'm going to wrap up, is what is um, comforting to know. That in these times where we feel often so powerless and so small, in when we're confronted with all this evil and with the threat of violence and nuclear bombs and whatnot, an escalation of violence, Jesus proposes another domino effect. It's, it's a, an escalation in the opposite direction. It starts with you using that little faith that he has given you, planted in the, in the soil, so plant it in your heart, because your heart is your garden, and keep watering it with the, 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 the waters of life, with the love that he gives you every day in the form of the Holy Spirit. That is what makes this seed grow. And if you do that and your neighbor does that, it becomes infectious. And every plant and every tree will carry multiple seeds that can also be planted. And then that turns into a forest. And that forest starts to renew the earth. This is the opposite domino effect. And ultimately, and this is the guarantee that Jesus gives us and the scripture gives us, that inverted escalation of love will vanquish any escalation of evil. This is the only way to God's future. So we know what we have to do, and thankfully it's not hard. Live out your faith there where you live. God does not ask you to travel the world to plant that seed somewhere else. He may ask some of you, but most of us, he just asks us, just look around. Search for fertile soil beginning in your own heart and plant that little seed of love, and that will be enough. Because if you do that and everyone does that, it is going to be stronger than any servant of evil. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel for Geeks. You can join me live for Mass every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central European Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Follow me on social media at Father Roderick for a link to the live stream. If you want to contribute to this ministry, go to fatheroderick.com donate.